like people say this a lot within like the people of color, like POC, like publishing space that like it sucks that a lot of times when we do want to break into the industry, like you have to publish a memoir first about like your experience. I am part of that group, but like I personally had to like not that anyone told me to, but like I really needed to do that. Like I think it was the first thing I had to do before I did anything else. Yeah, I I feel like I've been needing to do this for a very long time. And it gave me not just making the book, but a lot of like the aftermath of the book gave me a lot of closure. Uh, hi, I'm Deb J.G. Lee, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today, Raman and I are talking to Deb J.J. Lee, a first-time graphic novelist who just debuted a young adult memoir about a Korean-American girl's coming-of-age story and a coming-home story that's set somewhere between a New Jersey suburb and Seoul, South Korea. It's called In Limbo. And ironically, Raman and Ryan on their other podcast, Quarantine Comics, had written about this, or sorry, had spoken about this memoir and just both loved it so much. And so they they had this great conversation about it. We had re-aired it on our feed probably about a few months ago now. And we had posted it on social. We had tagged Deb because we always tag the, the author. And on Instagram, Deb had written back and had said something along the lines of, this is so exciting. Thank you so much for your support. And so I wrote back to them and asked them if they'd be willing to come and talk to us on our show. And Deb graciously accepted. And so here we are. And we had the pleasure of speaking with them today. It was a really great conversation. I am not as much into this nerdy comic book world as Raman is, as you guys know. But I've always loved, loved, loved to hear the stories of the illustrators and the authors and the creators behind all of this great work. Deb talks a lot about their experience growing up in Alabama, ironically, and also some of just some of the challenges that many of us have faced, right? So the idea of otherness, the idea of feeling different, the idea of knowing that you're not like anybody else, but maybe not really having the words or even the maturity to wrap your head around that. So we touch on topics like that. We also just touch on how nice it is sometimes to come full circle. And I think that by releasing in limbo and having this be so widely, widely revered and acclaimed. And for those of you who haven't seen this or experienced the book yet, we'll definitely have links in the show notes, but pick up a copy because it's a pretty, it's a pretty compelling and insightful experience into, I think, how all of us can feel sometimes. And certainly talking, talking to them today, talking to Deb today about what inspired that as well as just the different stories behind it really gave some insight into it. So I hope that you, just like I did, 
will enjoy this conversation that Roman and I had with Deb J.J. Lee today. Deb, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you're kind of like, I've been reading your work. I've known about you for a while. Uh, So in my world, you're kind of infamous. But I I guess the question is, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) do you ever get asked where you're from? Actually, not recently, but um, I do. People do ask where I'm from, but like they more assume it. Alabama? Yeah, where do they assume? Yeah, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, you, you're from Alabama, right? Like, no. Uh, <laughs> but I actually, I, so I was tabling at New York Comic Con last week. This is so cringe, by the way. This is a, it's like, get ready to like. I'm, I'm bracing like, myself. Yep. It's disgusting. Uh, but this never happened. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. If you were tabling, everyone at New York Comic Con got COVID. That's what I was reading. Oh, I didn't get COVID. Okay. But um, I know people who did. Sorry, I, that didn't, I didn't mean to like sound like I'm bragging about that. But I will say my boyfriend has COVID right now. He lives with me. I don't. I didn't get COVID from him. And I think it's because I got the booster so recently. Mm. And he hasn't yet because he's been... Fun, fun fact, this episode is technically now sponsored by the Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you. It's not, no, but it should no, be. Because literally, be. like they have sponsored this podcast. They have. Like to, oh. to say, get your vaccine. No way. Wow. Sharon and I have done so many reads about that. We have. It's kind of hilarious. We're big vaccine wow. promoters. And, you know, you just, you organically just did it. We should send them a copy of this show. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, I guess, um, was it FDA? No. Uh, HHS, HHS. HHS. Thank you, HHS. This is, uh, anyway. <laughs> yes, I was in your Comic Con and I was like selling prints, books mm-hmm. from my booth. Like I've never tabled in your Comic Con so it's been kind of like, oh, wow, so this is New York Comic Con. It's a lot. Like, I can understand why people got COVID. And like this dude, and like he he is white. He like shimmied through my table, like the side of my table. He leans in. He's like talking, saying something to me. And I go like, huh? I lean. I'm like, yo, what's up? And he goes, start speaking, speaking to me in Japanese. Whoa. And <laughs> I know it's Japanese, right? But I'm like pretending right. to play dumb. And I'm like, what? And he repeats himself. I ask him again, like, what? And he repeats himself. And I go, and he goes, oh, um, I was asking if you were Japanese and Japanese. And I like, just look at him square in the eye and I go, I'm not Japanese. And he goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he just leaves and I'm just left stunned. And I was kind of like shaken about this. And then a few days later, I'm getting dinner with like other people who also tabled at Comic-Con and this other artist, Eric Lee, last name is L-Y. But Eric was like, yo, this guy came up to my table and he was asking me for the time in Japanese. And this is the same guy, by the way. Like, I th- I think he came up to him after he came up to me. Huh. He was like, yeah, like he asked me for the time. And I was like, dude, I can't understand you. And he asks me over and over again. And he goes, oh, I was asking you for the time in Japanese. And Eric goes like, well, why do you think I'm Japanese? Like, what gave you that assumption? That's a good question. And the guy is like, oh, yeah, um, the, the drawings behind you, like, they have, like, Japanese characters on them. And Eric goes, my guy, those are Chinese characters. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then, you know, to this guy's defense, to this poor guy's defense, yeah, he what's probably up? is so excited. He's learned five Japanese exactly. phrases. Exactly. He's oh obsessed God. with the culture. Exactly. But, you know, he is missing a little bit of tact. A little so. bit. That is, yeah, I mean, it's so... Um, I mean, to do it again, like... I know. I don't know. Two, yeah. like twice, at least twice. Yes. Yeah. Right? And there is there is technically some crossover, though. There are some Chinese characters that are identical to Japanese kanji. It's literally the, the same. Oh, sure. Like, they mean the same thing. So, but that's also... He, he like, read that somewhere. 
<laughs> oh my god. Well, that's cringe for him. I hope yes. he's uh hope um hope he's doing okay. Hope he's recovering. Well, so I I can actually I actually we were talking I was talking to another comic book artist last week uh, on the spot. Oh yeah. And something just happened to me at work uh, in the city where I got in the elevator of my building and we're on the eighth floor. A UPS guy comes in, uh, and he is not brown, uh, but he is not white either. Uh, and he's like, okay. He starts speaking to me in Spanish, assuming I am Spanish huh. about what floor he wants to go to. And he's like, Ocho. Oh, and I'm like, I'm, and I'm like, what floor? And right. he's like, Ocho. And I'm like, you are not of like Hispanic or Latino origin. Oh. And maybe you think I am, oh, but I'll take it, I guess. Wow. But I don't speak Spanish, oh. but I do know my numbers. Oh, no, no. <laughs> So, so what do you, what, what do you say when people do ask you though? I just make shit up. I'm like, yo, yeah, I'm from France. And then they're like, really? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from France. Like they'll say like, oh, are you Korean? I'm like, no. <laughs> but what if they read your book and they're at your booth? And they're right. Like, yeah. And they're like, but you oh, are no, 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 Korean no. American, right? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. If they're, if they're approaching my booth, then not like, cause there's Korean words on my, in my work. So I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm stuck. But I'm thinking about like on the streets. Oh. When people okay. are like a- asking you like, oh, are you like Japanese or are you like whatever? And I go, no, I'm from Germany, man, my dude. Nice. And they're nice. like, oh, but where are your parents from? It's like, oh, they're also born in Germany. I have family in Germany. And they're like, oh, really? And I go, I mean, I'm not being entirely dishonest. I actually do have family in Germany. It's just <laughs> weird, <laughs> a weird thing to ask. So real question, like, yeah, you grew up in the South like me, right? I did grow up in Alabama, correct, from like age six to nine. And then I moved back to New Jersey. What, what part were you in? Oh, it's a town called Oxford. Yeah. 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 yeah do you know Oxford? I know all of Alabama. I've, I've oh driven the roads of the great state, the heart of Dixie. Like the heart of Dixie. Is that what it's called? Among many other. Among many homes. others. Okay. <laughs> so is Oxford, is Oxford like a small town, a medium town? I would say so. Yeah. Ramon, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's in like, it's near Talladega, so um, it's kind of halfway between Birmingham and Atlanta. Yes. Uh, I've been to gas stations there <laughs> driving okay. from shows yeah. between Birmingham and Atlanta. Uh, it's it's not small. It's not big. It, it's I mean, it's close to Aniston, isn't it? It's right next to Aniston. I used to go yeah, to the yeah, library yeah, all yeah. the time. There you go. My brother went to private school in Aniston, but I was stuck in public school for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> Oxford, I mean, it was okay. I mean, I was like, it's interesting because... I well, I was from New Jersey before Oxford. Like we went to, we lived in New Jersey. We went to Alabama because my dad's like, let's try this. Like let's do this fun little thing where we explore America, and that was not great for us. And then we moved back to New Jersey like three year, two three years later. And then I did have a Southern accent, which I immediately lost because I grew up speak. I grew up most of my life speaking like non-Southern accent English, mm-hmm. and then. I did have a Southern accent and I went straight back to New Jersey. And I think like I very quickly lost it. You said it wasn't such a great time. What was, what was that about? I went from Bergen County, New Jersey, which is Mm -hmm. very heavily populated by Koreans. And Mm -hmm. I went straight to Alabama, which like Alabama does have its fair share of Koreans, strangely, but not where I was living. Mm -hmm. So immediately I was like, oh, I am the only Korean here. Like, I'm the only Korean in my grade, uh, probably. And so a lot of these kids have never seen an Asian person before. So, you know, they're asking a lot of, like, you know, questions that you would ask if you, like, when you're a kid and, like, I don't really blame them. Mm -hmm. They don't really grow up 
they haven't really seen Asian people before, probably. Maybe they have parents who like said like some really like taught them some not so great things about Asian people. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. a friend in second grade who told me that like, oh, if you mix like an Asian and a black person and a white person together, you get a green baby. Like she actually said, Whoa. she was like, yeah, it's like, and like, where did you hear that? Like, I'm not upset with her per se. I was like, mm-hmm. who, who told you this? Like, that is yeah insane. And I believed her. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you're right, Summer. And yeah, so, I mean, I think the kind of like comments I would get was very, like, they were a little bit like slaps across the face. Like, I can point to that and look at a teacher and be like, you heard that, right? Like, you saw this happen. But then you would go to a place like the New England or the Mid-Atlantic or even like the West Coast, like California. And then you would get a kind of racism that I think is a lot more insidious. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of racism where it's so embedded Structural. in their, it's cultural that like you, they think it's right. Like they don't think there's anything wrong with it. And if you call them out on it, which you probably won't even realize until years later, I'm like, oh, that's, that was bad. Like that was really bad. Yeah, And then when you call them out on it, they'll be like, oh, I mean, I didn't mean to offend you. Whereas in Alabama, it'd be like, oh, they said a slur. <laughs> they know it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Right. But right. in um, New Jersey, it'd be stuff like, oh, what does Deborah mean in Korean? And I would just, some like crazy shit like that. My, my, my favorite one, you know, it's kind of like being a fish in water. Like, because you, mm-hmm. you at least had the transition from the Northeast to the South. But in the South, I didn't realize what it was. It's like when I play back those memories, like you're fish in water, so you don't realize the waters around you. But my favorite one is, so how do you pronounce your name? But your name's not smelled like that. What is that? Like, I'm like, come on. Hmm. Like, it's clearly from somewhere else. It's not going to sound like it. Yeah. There's multiple. Yeah. I've always hated having to justify my name. Like, what are the common mispronunciations you get for your name? (laughs) Don't have a long enough (laughs) podcast for that. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) It's pronounced ramen like ramen coke, but oh okay, yeah yeah. But people say ramen like ramen noodles, and I kind of yeah. let them do it because uh, the accent and it didn't occur to me like the ramen coke thing, uh-huh. the mnemonic to, to make them say it. Right. And now all my southern friends are actually genuinely upset with me because like you let me call you the wrong thing all these years. So that kind of touches my heart that they're upset that they were in the wrong. But you know you've been in the classroom where they mispronounce the name during roll call and you don't want to correct them, or you're in assembly and then your dad gets up in the audience and corrects them and. Super embarrassing. And it's just a whole thing. Yeah. So um, a lot of name trauma. I, uh, so my Korean name is Jungjin, right? Uh, and I I wish I knew, it's the same boat where I wish I could have said, I, I knew this like mnemonic earlier, but I like to say like, yeah, Jungjin, like Jungjin and Dragon. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. Now that, that's got to be like an instant messenger handle. Yes. Right? I know. I know. I, I really, I mean, I was, unfortunately I'm too young for, I was too young for instant messenger, but like I wish I could have said this. Like, I wish I knew about this in like high school because it made my life so much easier. Jungjin and Dragon. Yeah, Jungjin and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. It can be an Instagram handle now, right? TikTok, a TikTok handle. Oh, yeah. TikTok handle. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. like a Finsta handle, perhaps. A fins- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jungjin and Dragons. Yeah. So when you were going back to either Oxford or Bergen County uh-huh. and you were thinking about the future one day or anything else, like, <laughs> <laughs> as I do. As you do. What did your parents want you to be when you were younger? I think parents, I think they really tried to make me, I don't know. I think my my grandma, I know my grandma did. I My mom probably did for a while. I was like, oh yeah, you're going to be a doctor, right? 
And then they noticed that like, oh, you faint when you see blood. <laughs> so that's not a good idea. That's not going to happen. I mean, my mom, I, I remember telling her, I remember telling my mom like when I was maybe seven, like, oh, maybe one day I'll go to Yale. And my mom's like, like oh. laughs at me. Oh, no. I think she knew that like, oh, no, like they're not meant for that. <laughs> they're not like stellar enough as like, you know, the other people she might know or the other kids she might know. Which, I mean, fine. I I didn't end up going to Yale anyway. And but my parents, my mom especially was like, I'd be like, oh, one day I'll go to school in California. And then my mom's like, <laughs> she simultaneously had like high hopes, but also didn't have a lot of expectations for me. Yeah, it seemed. Yeah, but I know she did. Like I know she expected that I do like this X Y and Z well. Right. But she was also like, oh, but you'll never do X Y and Z. Like you'll never. Yeah. Do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like there was a standard of excellence, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, they were kind of open to what it could have been. Yeah. I think they needed some kind of external validation that like what I wanted to do, like yeah, art was viable for me. Like they needed some uh, somebody they respected to be like, oh no, like they could do this. Because mm-hmm. I remember like in the car one day, like I was in the ninth grade, like, oh, what if I, what if I become an illustrator? And like, that was a really grand idea for me at the time. My mom's like, what kind of money will you make from that? Right. And I was like, I don't know. And it wasn't until I think they had like a, there was an art teacher that I would go to in Manhattan that was known for sending like, getting a lot of her students into like really top art programs, uh, even like places like Yale or Stanford where they do have design programs. And then my art teacher, that person told my parents like, oh no, like your kid is really good. Like your kid is like, mm-hmm. unusually good. And then my parents like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. Dev can do it. <laughs> That's great. So I think they needed some external validation to be like, oh no, like this is not typical. Yeah. You know? I got to ask, so I obviously read and loved In Limbo, and it's, I believe it's autobiographical or mostly autobiographical. And I I read the afterward where you're like, your mom was concerned with, you know, how you portrayed her literally. Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. That relationship, I guess, there's there's a lot of tension, but love. Like, you know, it's kind of interesting to where it was coming from, why she was like that. And Uh unfortunately, I can't read Korean, so some of the Korean statements in between, like I didn't. I, I love that you did that, by the way. Yeah, that thank was like you. Almost like a secret, secret language or a secret like cheat code mm-hmm. to the book. I read somewhere that you said like the book was like almost like a five year meditation on, yes. on growing up. Correct. Now that you've done the meditation, mm-hmm. how do you feel it hangs, and and how does your mom feel that it hangs? I mean, my mom has never read the book, and I don't expect her really? to. Really? Oh, she hasn't. No, she hasn't read it. Like, but she knows like what is in it, right? Like even all the ex- after all the external validation and all the like recognition. She knows that what it's about. She knows like how she's portrayed and she knows like what actions are shown of her doing. So like, I, I get it. Like, that's really uncomfortable for me to read. Do you think that she read it secretly and maybe she hasn't said anything to you? Possible. Because my yeah. dad bought like multiple copies of the book. So right. They're laying around the house. Right, yeah, it's around the house. house. Totally. He bought like, my dad has read it multiple times actually. And well, okay, as, as a third arbitrator, because your dad's not featured in the book as much, right? Mm, like, yeah. Yeah, my dad is a backseat kind of man. Yeah. So, so as your dad is not quite a neutral third party, but a present third party who's now yes. read the book and lived the life with the two of you, mm-hmm. main characters in this book. What did he say? My dad is actually really proud. And I really, 
I mean, I think he he knows, like he is, un- he did tell me like, yeah, I am uncomfortable about this book, but like, I know it's your life and I'm really proud of you. And it actually got to the point where, so my dad is a doctor and he is in a re- apparently a really big group chat with a bunch of other Korean doctors in America or at least in New Jersey. And my dad is like, yeah, like check out this book that my kid made. And then the doc, other doctors like, wait, that's your kid? Like, I've been meaning to read this book for a while. Like, I can't believe that's your kid. <laughs> so a lot of his friends were like, oh, like, that's your kid. Like they, as in like that book was on their list. And they're like, oh, so that you're the dad that's in the book. <laughs> so it's coming to my parents, like from other directions that like, you know, they didn't expect like completely random happenstances where they're like, oh, we're being perceived and mm-hmm. they're here. I mean, there's also like, other like my brother's um friends like their parents mm-hmm. like heard from other parents they're like oh like have you heard about this book called in limbo like you should read it and then like my brother's friend's mom was like oh i know this kid <laughs> i know this person <laughs> like that's the sibling of my son's friend which is it's coming at them and my mom yeah she hasn't read the book but she both her and my dad and my brother actually went to my launch event in Union Square, like they came. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because they know that they're in an, if, like at first they thought they wouldn't be welcome. Like my dad was like, oh, should we even go? Because like, I don't know if we'll be welcome. And I'm like, no one's going to be mad at you for showing up. I think people will be really impressed if you showed up actually. So my parents showed up. My brother also showed up. And it was very funny because a lot of my friends were there and they all know about my mom and like, a lot of them have read the book at that point. And they're like, oh yeah, like your mom's coming. Like, oh my gosh. And then in walks my mom. And then my friends go like, that's your mom? And they're like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. Like, she's really hot. <laughs> and like, guys, yeah, that's my mom. And I, like- if two You're getting like Gilmore Girl vibes as know. you're talking. So. And like a few of my friends, is, I like talk to like a few of my friends and I'm like, do you have a crush on my mom? And they're like, listen, listen, listen. I know what she's like. But I think a lot of people were surprised, like, oh, your mom's really cute. Like, she's really unassuming. And uh, I think a lot of people in the audience did not know my parents were there. So one of them asked a question about my parents. I was like, yeah, I mean, you can ask them. They're right there. They're right behind you. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it wasn't anything bad. It was just something along the lines of, oh, how do your parents feel that, like, you will never be really close to them? And I was like, I don't know. Like, you should ask my dad. He's right behind you. Hey, dad, what do you think? Wow. And my and the audience is like, oh shit! Like, no, I never took any offense to that. I thought I thought that was a really really funny moment, and I hope they're not too mortified by that because I thought it was really funny. Did Dad answer in that moment? My dad chuckled. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I gave I think like pretty I gave a pretty like diplomatic answer. Like, yeah, like there are some things that my parents will not know about me, um, but I think we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to like get to that point. And I don't know how much I'll know about them, but like we can try. Has this experience brought you closer together? Probably, maybe a little bit at least. Like yeah. I think my parents know, my dad has a better idea of like what I was feeling and what I was going through at the time. I mean, it's not necessarily from the book, but I think my mom has made some like more attempts at like calling or um, being like, oh, this was like my, my favorite piano piece growing up and she'll send me the YouTube link. But yeah, I mean, they're still pretty secretive. They're still pretty quiet about like, you know, how their day was or 
what's going on in their lives. There's a lot about their lives that I don't know about that I think they're preferring to keep secret or, or like, yeah, I don't think it's because they're, they're hiding anything. I think it's just that, oh, we prefer not to get you involved in all the messiness that's in our lives. We're like, oh, our lives are just like about business and mm-hmm. you don't have to know about right. this. Like, it's fine. But like, right. I kind of do want to know about it. You know, it's just, yeah. I'm an adult just like you. I also run my own business in a way. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They're protecting you. Protecting me from things they think I'm not interested in, which like, no, I love corporate gossip. Like you should, you should find <laughs> me into this. As a former corporate worker, I love <laughs> corporate gossip. <laughs> That's what Slack was built for. I mean, that is right, what exactly. Slack is built for. You're right. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. Okay. So like so many other creators, right, who mm-hmm. sometimes they infuse their personal experience into those first books, like, you know, yes, Mariko Tamaki, uh, Mariko and Jillian, Jean Lun Yang. And I'm not talking about just Asian creators, like Andrew Iden, right? Like, yeah. They infuse their personal take in those first work, but they build up to that like deeply existential autobiographical work, right? Like it took Gene like a decade before he got the dragon hoops, right? Yeah. But like you knocked that out first. No, so, I had to. Is, yeah. I, I mean, it's almost like uh it's like now you can move on and now you can just talk about not what it means to be Korean, but just what it means to be an artist, what it means yeah. to be queer, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I feel like people say this a lot within like the people of color, like POC, like publishing yeah, space yeah. that like it sucks that a lot of times when we do want to break into the industry, like you have to publish a memoir first about like your experience, Yep. which yep. like I am part of that group, but like I personally had to like I not that anyone told me to, but like I really needed to do that. Like I think it was the first thing I had to do before I like did anything else. And now I'm going to be writing fiction, which is so hmm. unusual for me because I, I'm still like not sure what makes good writing. So I'm trying to take classes about writing and like learn what it means to be a writer. I still don't know, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I've been needing to do this for a very long time and it gave me not just making the book, but a lot of like the aftermath of the book gave me a lot of closure, actually which um, I did not expect. Like I thought I would get my closure during the book, but I got more of my closure after the book was published. And I can talk more about that, but like... Yeah, I want to I hear more about that. Is, that, is it because it, it's, seeing, it's seeing that kind of in a tangible way or is it because of the way people are responding to it? It's the way people are responding to it. So there's like a few like things that happened after the book. So I... I did carry a lot of resentment about Mm -hmm. high school, even college after I graduated. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that happened was I, I did a little like guest lecture, like a book tour thing at my college. And my college was a unique situation because I went to school. I went to Carnegie Mellon, which is very design, like heavy engineering, like design, yeah, design, um, weirdly drama as well. Um, but that's besides the point. I went to school for de- design. Wait, like drama, like a drama program? Or oh, the kids yeah. have lots of emotional drama? Like I mean, CW. both. <laughs> but like, I, I meant musical theater. Okay. I mean, this is like a lot of the, a lot of people at that musical theater program end up on Broadway and like become like Oscar winners and stuff. It's crazy. Mm. But that's a, that's a whole other corporate gossip moment. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, like one of my classmates, um, one of my, this girl who would like always come to my studio she was really close friends with this girl who sat on my table in studio. 
Like she's on Black Mirror now. Like she was one of the main characters on Black Mirror for the newest season. Which I was like, yo, I did not know you would be on this show. Like that's crazy. Anyway, I I digress. So design at CMU was very like corporate. It you know taught us some basic graphic design like typography skills, but it, a lot of us end up working in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And I did a few internships. I was lucky to get a few internships early on in tech. And then after my junior year, I realized that like I'm getting pretty bored of UX design and the tech industry already. And like, that's not a good sign if like, you know, I'm only an intern. I haven't even graduated. At the beginning of your career, at least. I mean, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, this is kind of like, I don't really want to do this. And then my senior year, I decided I learned that illustration as a career is a thing. Like illustration as a freelance Mm. world is, is a thing. So I luckily had a job lined up. This is all because I was really lucky. I had a job lined up after my junior year. So I didn't have to worry about finding one after I graduated. So I literally just deleted my design portfolio and I started a new one. I started an illustration portfolio. And while I would like, you know, pass my classes and do okay, I would build my illustration portfolio every every day. Like every week I would have something to put in there. And I started out with like a blank page and eventually I made more and more and more. But While I was figuring this out, like, you know, I was in my fourth year. I felt like I was behind because I'm thinking about all the RISD kids, all the SVA kids who've been studying illustration for four years already. And I'm just starting. And looking around the university, like, there's barely any resource in illustration. I think the library, the university library had, like, maybe, like, one half a shelf of illustration books. Even the art school, which is completely separate from the design school, like, they actually would tell their students like illustration is a lowest form of art and they would discourage students from doing illustration at that school. And I'm in, not even in there. I'm in design school. And I would ask some professors that I know had some illustration background and they would tell me, why would you do illustration? Like no one's going to hire you. Like, why would you work for money? No one's going to hire you. Like, this professor actually told me this and she was the closest person I had to illustration. Wow. She like, I mean, she kind of like lied to me, actually. She told me that to have a literary agent is a really bad idea and it would prevent me from graduating. Hmm. And I took that to my academic advice. I'm like, yo, like this teacher said this to me. Is this true? And the advice was like, I've never heard this rule in my life. Like, that's not true. So she just lied to me. Why, why do you think that was? I mean, is... I think she's bitter. Yeah, it's an individual thing or is there like a I think it's an individual thing because yeah. I know this professor majored in illustration and no one hired her after she graduated. So she became a designer. Mm. Mm. And now she's on tenure. <laughs> she can't get fired from the school really. It'd be really hard to fire her. But uh, yeah, so I had that teacher. I had another professor at my program who like was not kind to me. Like she was one of like the teachers that everyone loved, but like for some reason to me, like she knew I was, I loved illustration and she was like really not nice about it. Mm. But anyway, I graduated. I was lucky enough to get my agent like before I graduated, like very fast. And that is, you know, when my professor told me like, like agents are not right. good for you, which is a, a complete lie. And then I worked at NPR that summer, which is what I mentioned earlier. And then, you know, now I decided to come back for my book tour. 
Can, can you talk about the illustration at NPR? I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like, what yeah. does that look like? Yeah. Like- yeah. So um, once in a blue moon, whenever they need it, there's a few teams who would put out a listing for illustration interns. And mm. they would normally look for students um, or recent grads. So it was like the perfect timing for me. I happened to have a portfolio of illustration already. And I sent in my portfolio and they they picked me. And the job was basically to do illustrations for like any articles that NPR would put out like on their website yeah, or anything for their podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I would do. Like I was one of the illustrators. There was another, I had the illustration title in NPR, but there was actually another person. Um, her name is um, Angela Shea. H-S-I-E-H. And then she was on the visuals team, but she was also illustrating. So we would both do illustrations for NPR. And that's how we both got our foot in the door in editorial illustration, which I think she still does. I don't do editorial illustration anymore just because it's like, I don't think it's the industry for me right now. But yeah, but then both of us decided to volunteer as like, you know, live drawing the Tiny Desk concerts. Yeah. And the Tiny Desk concerts, sometimes they happen every day. That's almost like a court stenographer. I know. No, That's basically, so cool. yeah. So cool. But we had, except we had 15 minutes to do it because <laughs> tiny desks go really fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say the longest one was um, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews okay. talked for a long oh, time. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, so he was there, but uh, he was without his band. <laughs> and so it was Dave Matthews not without the band. Um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, so we would just draw them. And because we are considered like, quote photographers we would be able to get in during sound check mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we would always have the front row mm. and then afterwards they would they would like sign our ipads and then like npr music would use our illustrations for promotion yeah one of the highlights was definitely meeting yo-yo ma i got to we got to draw him and we got autographs from him and then mac miller performed too and it was a really fun performance he signed my um, iPad. We like connected over the fact that both of us were from Pittsburgh because Carnegie Mellon's in Pittsburgh and that's where he also grew up. And then a few months later, like he dies. Yeah. And then NPR actually used a drawing that I did during that tiny desk as his obituary picture, which is so bizarre because I never knew that I'd be drawing a dead. I'd be drawing a dead man. You know, I, I never knew that I'd be drawing an obituary illustration. It was very weird. All that to say, NPR was a very unique. That summer was very unique, and it was a really good internship. And I don't think they have had illustration interns for a very long time because of budget cuts. Yeah, yeah a yeah. lot of people just got laid off. So, yeah. How'd you fall into the orbit of Japanese breakfast? Oh, that's funny. Um, so. This is actually one of the reasons that In Limbo began. Yeah. I made a comic that was about intergenerational, transgenerational language barriers. Yeah. And then I like, it was like four pages, four panels, not very long, put on Twitter and it somehow got to her and then she retweeted it. And that is how it went around. And then that's when my agent was like, oh, like, do you want to do comics? Like, do you want to do a graphic novel? And that's how In Limbo happened. Hmm. And then, uh, actually, funny enough, Crying in H Mart in, in Limbo was announced in the same week. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I met Michelle um, through the internet. And yeah, so then that's how eventually she like commissioned me to do a poster and then another poster the following year, um, this year. And then that's how, yeah, that's how we kind of connected with that. 
was through the book. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, going back to talk about closure in college, I went back to college to do my book tour earlier this year. And the closure that I got from there is that I realized that like the professors that I did run into who were not kind to me back then, like they were pretty lukewarm. They're like, oh, we're so proud of you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But then I realized that there were more professors at that school who were encouraging, who were excited about me than professors who were discouraging. And I just like, you know, I realized that there are more kind people than I remembered. Or there are more kind people that I just like didn't really interact with that I knew that existed. I just didn't Mm -hmm. think about very much. And the same exact thing happened in like, in high school, uh, I, in August, I actually got invited, the superintendent actually read in limbo and of my old school district. And he emailed me to say like, yo, do you want to like, before school starts, but when we have our all faculty meeting for the entire district, do you want to come back and speak to your old teachers about what happened and how they could have done better? So I did that. <laughs> I did that. Like, <laughs> it was like in a room full of like, like must have been like 600 teachers in that room. And I was like speaking to them. I was like, yeah, this is what went wrong. This is what I wish I could have gotten more of. And like, here's everything that I processed like for 10 years after I graduated. And that was a really like big moment of closure. Like I remembered, you know, like not only did I talk about like, here's all the professors, here's all the teachers that like said messed up things to me, but here are also the teachers who were really kind. And Mm -hmm. here are all the teachers that I really, really look back upon fondly. I felt safe around and I think they really liked that. So yeah, a lot of the old teachers came up to me. A lot of old teachers that I haven't seen in a decade were like, oh my gosh, like, it's so good to see you. Like, and you know, that was another moment of closure where I had the chance to go back and say what I want to say. Yeah. And another moment where I realized, oh, people were, people did not hate me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to like, when you're in the moment, right. Whatever the drama of our life is like, yeah. I hate to say it. It's like, it's not that they kind of don't care that much in the mm-hmm. sense that it's not that bad. It's not as bad as we think as we internalize it, you know, because everyone's dealing with their own shit. Yeah. If anything, they're just trying to go about their lives and be good people, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How much of this, like, call it career identity is, is wrapped up a little in racial identity. And one thing I think I said on the Quarantine Comics episode is I really appreciated and admired the fact that the work, while your queer identity is part of your identity. Yes. It wasn't something that you were putting across the, the front, you know, like, but at the same time, I feel like there's stories to be told, fictional or non-fictional, about how that's kind of impacted choices in career and interactions. How, how do you kind of process that? Or is it just like, no, it's just, it's just who I am. Queerness? Yeah. Oh, I mean, in, I didn't talk about it in the book because I didn't, I wasn't there yet. And mm-hmm. I never really thought about queerness in, mm-hmm high school very much. Like maybe I did a few times. Like I never really felt like I remember posting a Facebook status in 2010 being like, I'm feeling mentally genderless. And obviously no one interacted with it because what does that mean in 2010? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We literally didn't have the words. Oh yeah, we didn't have the words yet. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like 13 years ago, that's what I said. Um, Look where we are now. But yeah, I mean, I think queerness is a... I don't know. It's very important to me still because, you know, like, I mean, I use they, them pronouns and in the book I use she, her. I mean, I don't know really, I don't really have much to say about it. It just feels very embedded in me and very normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there are certain projects where like, 
it does matter that I'm queer, you know, and I know that it can be tokenized and used for like, oh, like, can you draw something for pride or which is for me a little better than, oh, can you draw something for mid-autumn festival or lunar new year, which right. not to say right. that like, right. which yeah. not to say like those are bad, but I do notice that like so much of the work I get is all about Asian shit. Mm-hmm. I don't like, that's fine, <laughs> but like, you know, it's funny. Sharon and I get that too. It's all the like, time, really? all the time. Okay. And what's funny is like, Remen's like, we are not, only an Asian podcast, right? Like, so it's no, no. Like, I don't even say only. Right. You're not an Asian podcast, and he says that all the time. And I'm like, I, I know, but when they look at us and we're both Asian, like that's that's what they're responding to. And he's always like, but Sharon, that's not what we are. And I'm like, so anyway, so yes, we we have that same even among the two of us, we have that same debate all the time because that's how oh my God. that's how the world looks at us. Yep. Yeah, we're a race podcast. Oh, not even a race podcast. <laughs> like. I jokingly say, like, we want to solve racism because to me, it's like, I need to understand my blind spots and we all have blind spots. And to me, I don't look, I'm, you're Asian, sure, whatever. But like, but it's because you wrote a book about something that was interesting. That's why we're talking, if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, of course. I guess it has to do with Asian identity, but it's so funny. It's just, and I sometimes like get frustrated, like the inbound guests sometimes we get or the sponsorships in or the co-promotions come from that world versus, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like we get pigeonholed into just like a category, basically. Right. I mean, I will say that I'm a lot. I mean, I recently I did get a really big project that's not Asian related. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, nice. Um, (laughs) Was it queer related, though? No, it's not. Okay. Which is a rarity. That is good. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. A lot of my projects are about like, oh, we have like this book written by a Chinese author. I'm like, okay, all right. Which, um, I mean, they do really pay the bills, but I do, I can't help but like, you know, feel my heart sink whenever I get a project, when I open the emails, like, oh my gosh, like it's for this really cool brand. And I open it and it's like, oh yeah, Lunar New Year. I'm like, ah, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's about that time, guys. Um, but weirdly enough, let's say like, I don't get a project about Lunar New Year that year. You're like, what the fuck? God invested in the king. You would feel passed over. Exactly. Exactly. That right? happened with us this May for totally. AAP Heritage. Yeah. Yep. We've been on both sides too, Deb. I, I I hear you. Okay, great. I was so happy. So for the past few years, we've done a Ramadan series, right? Oh, cool. And I'm not Muslim, but this past year, we just didn't have time and we didn't do it. And a few people asked, hey, I thought you were doing Ramadan stuff. And I was like, thank you for like missing the, the non-Asian thing that we were wow. trying to focus on. So anyway. That's so sweet. Like, how did that make you feel? seen guilty because like oh i'm guilty i guess yeah yeah yes like, guilty because like <laughs> ah shit i dropped the ball and we just interviewed like five other asian people yeah oh no i mean i mean i feel like it's nice that people see that as part of your podcast like they're like oh it's not it's not like all about asians it's about like other things too yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's all about different perspectives for sure yeah, exactly so mom and dad i want to go back to mom and dad because we were talking about yes. mom and dad's career expectations for you and they kind of, they kind of had some then they were like no you know she's not she's not gonna be a doctor yeah that's okay our parents me and Roman had the same thing you know our we, we didn't become doctors either yeah did they have expectations for you in terms of relationships that's a good question oh this is like i hate i hate this about me i think my parents always knew that i would not probably date another korean person okay they, i think they knew that i only hung out with white people mm-hmm. in my life and they're like oh yeah like they're probably gonna like end up marrying like a white dude or something which yeah uh, I mean it's not I'm not like 
there's no um, long-term relationship that I'm in that will end up in a, like in a marriage or engagement right now. But it's like, I think they kind of like gave up <laughs> that I will marry like another Korean person. I mean, if anything, we don't live in a very Korean area. Like I still, we still don't live in a very Korean area. Like I was surrounded by white people my whole life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those are the only, those were like the people that I, like even the Korean kids, I didn't really hang out with many Korean kids because half of their life is church and I wasn't religious. So automatically I'm not Korean enough, yep. you know? Yeah. Which oof, evangelical Christian Koreans are. That's a thing. There's something They're They're like probably the, one of the most toxic groups of people I've ever met. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, like I'm not Christian. I didn't really speak Korean very well. I didn't live in a very Korean area because um when we moved back from Alabama, I was living in Union County, which is uh, mm -hmm. a few counties away from Bergen County. My dad still works in Bergen County. There were very few Asians in my in my school, my area. Got it. There was one other Korean girl in my grade, and people got us confused for some crazy reason. So the first time you brought home a white guy, they were like, yep, knew it. Yeah, they, they're, they're like, ooh, hey, no Nick. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nicholas. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, that didn't happen until like I was uh, I was in college. Uh, but he actually lived down the street from me at high school. So. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, we kind of knew each other in high school, but like we didn't start dating until I was, uh, I was a sophomore in college, I guess. And he was about to enter college. So. Yeah. High school sweethearts, but not really. Kind of. High school friend, friends, and, and then sweethearts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you could go all the way back to, to Bergen County and yeah. have a quick chat with that. Sure. That kid who was coming back from Alabama, what would you tell them? Racism. People will still treat you differently in New Jersey. Because I thought like, oh, once I go back to New Jersey, like I'll be safe. Like I'll... I'll be good. And then like things will be fine. But it's like, no, it's still going to be pretty bad. And, you know, it sucks because my parents kept telling me every year, like, it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. And it never does. And I think what I didn't realize, it's like, oh, your prime, like the, the part of your life that's going to feel really good isn't going to happen for a while, but like it's coming and it's going to be really good. Um, like this is all going to add up to something. I think that's something that I wouldn't want to hear at that point, but it's true. Or maybe also like I can say like, hey, like nobody hates you. You know, like I think we get so caught up in, oh, you're like everyone is watching you. But like actually people are watching themselves more than they're watching other people. Yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't until maybe also this year when people from high school started reaching out to me. It's like, oh, I had no idea you're going through that. And I also learned from them that like, nobody really hated me. You know, like I thought people hated me. I thought people like forgot I existed, which I guess was partly true, but no one disliked me as much as I thought they did. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what I would say. No one really hates you as much as you think they do. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be a bumper sticker. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that is what I would say. It's great. Well, Deb, we've covered so much in our chat so far. And one of the things that we do with all of our guests is we, we take them through a speed round. So are you ready for oh speed Oh my round? God. Yes. I'm sitting up on my chair. Wrong answer. No one's ever ready for speed round. No one is ever ready. <laughs> but I have a good feeling about you. I think, I think you're going to, 
I think you're going to crush this. Okay, yeah, you're well, gonna crush it. I'm going to lower expectations a little bit. For right. You, please. Okay, got it. <laughs> I just okay. brought it down two notches. All right. Oh, thank so. you. Very kind. <laughs> What's one thing about you that no one expects? Um, that I'm an, a huge introvert. Huh. Huh. Yeah. I'm a huge introvert. I love being alone. Like, I love spending nights by myself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, recently, like, when I am alone, I do like to spend it with friends because I feel less alone. But I am generally, like, I generally get really overwhelmed by crowds mm. and talking to yeah. being in large social groups, like, very easily. Yeah. One-on-one, yeah. one-on-some is easier, right? One-on-one time is so much better for me. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's what surprises people. Like, oh, you're you're an introvert, but you're so loud. <laughs> What's uh? What's what's a book, a song, or movie, or, or even a, a comic, uh, but not one of yours, mm-hmm. that has characters that you relate to? Um, This is another Mariko, Jillian Tamaki book, but probably Skim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one? Oh, my God. Like, I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. All of them. Oh, it broke me. You know which one actually broke me? Uh, 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 Mariko. It wasn't Mariko and Jillian. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, Jillian didn't illustrate that one, but my friend Rosemary did. Oh my God. Like, seriously, I read it probably an hour before I interviewed Mariko and I'm like oh. in tears in my basement. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like just gushing. Oh so, my anyway. gosh. Yeah, no. Um, I was like playing dashboard confessional in my head while I'm reading <laughs> it. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was so, so no, it's good. a really beautiful book. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I really love that one too. Great. What is your favorite mom dish? Pasta salad. Pasta salad. My mom made this, like, my mom would make this killer pasta salad. She'd make it for me every year for my birthday because I loved it that much. Aww. But it's literally pasta with, like, balsamic vinegar, um, maybe garlic, and, like, tomatoes and mm-hmm. mozzarella cheese. Like, that's literally all it was. And it was so good. And I would have mounds of it on my plate for, for dinner. That sounds so yummy. It made me so excited. I love her pasta salad. Nice. It's great. What's your least favorite food? Um, Olives. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, that's a, that's like that'll break the pasta salad if they ever show up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tolerate olives mm-hmm. and I will generally eat anything. I have like the, I feel like I have a taste of like a garbage truck perhaps, but like if it has olives, I'm like, ah, oh, like I prefer not to have olives. I also don't eat pickles very much. I always give the pickles to someone else. <laughs> that's why we'd be friends because I'd like totally get your extra yeah. pickles. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, We're going oh, to a deli together. That perfect. works. Oh, cool. Yeah. You can have all the pickles. Um, I mean, another freak fact about me is that when I was in kindergarten, I loved bread so much, but I loved plain bread, right? So I would only eat the crust of a pizza. Oh, wow. And I would give the rest oh. of the pizza to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and you'd be really popular. popular you're the best. Yeah, you're like the best buddy to have. Yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> missed out when they did invite me to their birthday parties. Like, you could have eaten crustless pizza. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Who is someone out there that you would want to talk to on a podcast? Oh my gosh. I'm looking I'm looking around all my other books I have right now. I mean, I would love to talk to Michelle Zahner. I mean, I know she's so busy. She's like writing a screenplay. She's working on another book. But like, I would love to just like talk to her uh, if she's ever around. But yeah, I think she's taking, I think they're taking a sabbatical next year mm. in Korea. So what does being a modern minority mean to you? I think being a modern minority means that I don't know. When you say modern minority, I think it like to me for some reason it sounds like model minority. Like my head just yeah yeah. yeah. Fun fact: that was the original name of the pod, and we changed it because people are like, "That's offensive." Yeah, I mean, I think like being a model minority is to like support all 
because I don't know, like there's like a lot of Asians, East Asians who are like really racist towards like brown and black people. And that pisses me off so much because if you want to support, like nobody is free until like black, like trans women are free. Because you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it when you help somebody who is like at more of a disadvantage in American society than you are, then like it's actually uplifting everybody else. Like I remember reading something where I forget which um, thing it was, but something that helped a lot of like the black population in America, like in the early 1900s, actually helped a lot of like the poor white population too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, hey, if you want to, if you want to like make your life better, you got to help everyone's lives be better. Yeah. That's what I, that's, that's my little, that's my little spiel. That's great. Yeah. Deb, this has been, I don't want to say surprisingly fun. But like the energy, like, you know, your book is so thoughtful and introspective and and really made me dig up a lot of stuff. So first, thank you for that. Of course. And then we just had such a fun, delightful chat. So thank you for just being you. And I can't wait to see some of this, Deb, in in the next work that you bring out. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, um, Raman and Sharon, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. And that's our show. Like what you heard? please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.